Hello, it's Paul Scott here with my usual weekly recap of UK small caps news and what myself and Graham Neary have written about in the Stockopedia small cap value reports. As always, this is just my personal opinions. There's never any advice intended and please do your own research on everything we mention because we get some things right and some things wrong. Same as everybody. Nobody can predict the future with certainty. Okay, so on Monday 7th of November, I looked at Jules, J-O-U-L. We got another update on this one. Uh, It's a financially distressed special situation. Uh, The update contained yet another profit warning. And as we already know, the banking situation is pretty dicey at Jules. Um, It's got, um, it's going to run out of headroom basically on the bank facility the end of this month. Um, And it says that it's looking for bridging finance. I think this is looking increasingly precarious. So I hope they find a solvent solution. And as one of the readers pointed out, uh, a, a millionaire car dealer has, multi-millionaire, has uh, bought a stake in Jules. So, we, we, you know, you would imagine that he's, he's thinking in terms of a solvent solution, rather, or or is it just to get a seat at the table um, in a, a pre-pack administration? I just don't know. It's too uncertain at the moment. Without inside information, you, you can't really assess um, how things will pan out at Jules. Although I, I do think it's looking pretty precarious, so I'm um, I'm nervous about that one. But I'll look at it afresh if and when it's refinanced. Loungers, LGRS. This is a uh, chain of bar, cafe, restaurants all day, um, bars. It, it's quite an interesting company, and the management here are particularly highly regarded by sector experts. Now, it's diversifying into roadside cafes, um, evoking little chef of days gone by, um, service stations, that sort of thing, doing all-day breakfast, burgers, pizzas, pretty uninspiring stuff, really. But there again, when you're on a long journey, stopping for a, an, an Olympic breakfast at Little Chef was a real occasional treat, I think. So I wouldn't discount this new format. They're going to call it Brightside. And I think they're opening three sites in the southwest in March. So it's quite a significant diversification. Um, but if any management team is going to make this work, at work, I think the management of loungers would do. So um, that's quite an interesting development. Now, Graham looked to depreciate P. Congratulations to shareholders there. You've got a decent premium on a, I think it's a, a nearly 70% on um, a takeover bid from Paypoint. It's mostly in shares, I th- uh, no, mostly in cash, I think, and then some in shares. I wouldn't have any problems with being given some Paypoint shares. I think Paypoint is a, is a good value business that generates nice cash flows and pays good dividends. Bit of a mature business, though, so they're, they're obviously looking to diversify into other areas. But anyway, <clears throat> appreciate it's been a perpetual disappointer, really. So I think that getting a payout at 70% premium is a good outcome for shareholders there. Graham also looked at, on Monday, a takeover bid by DWF. On Monday, things we didn't cover, National World has announced a a, a big investment in something called the News Movement. And also, Graham Graham noted that Fraser's, Mike Ashley's outfit, uh, has launched a massive buyback programme, 3.2 billion apparently. I'm not sure if that was a typo or if that's the real figure. If so, that's highly significant, I would imagine. 
On Tuesday, this is the 8th of November, I looked at house builders. Um, I think this is probably a sector that interests me most at the moment because the share prices of the whole sector have absolutely crashed and I think they've overshot on the downside now. You can you can buy most house builder shares at below uh, net tangible asset value, which doesn't make any sense to me because you know that seems to be factoring in a huge crash in the housing market, which I don't believe is likely at all. Um, because we've got a structural shortage of housing in the UK. Um, interest rates, long-term interest rates, have already started falling, and I think um, it's a bit of a bit of a, uh, a situation where if you look through current short-term problems, you could do very well long-term. These things are so well asset-backed now. House builders don't have the debt piles that they used to have. They're mostly, I think most of them are holding net cash. So you've got immense balance sheet support there. And remember, all, all the stock and the work in progress and everything is all in at cost. And yet there's a big margin on top of that for when they sell them. A couple of house builders, I looked at Persimmon on Tuesday. I know it's a mid-cap, but we're, we're looking for direction. We're looking to understand what's happening in the economy. So even though it's called a small-cap value report, we stray into mid-cap territory if, or even large-cap if something interesting is telling us what's going on at the, uh, out there in the real economy. Uh, so persimmon looks very interesting, although it had a huge increase in its cladding provision. So the, the thing that's weighing on the sector, I think, is the uh, remediation costs for, for cladding after the Grenfell disaster. And I think it was the scale of the upgrade, um, not upgrade, but increase in provision required at persimmon. I think it went from 75 million to about 350 million off the top of my head, which is a huge increase, isn't it? How could they have got the original pr- provision so badly wrong? And in situations like that, when some sort of unexpected cost um, keeps uh, escalating, you know, the final number can often be uh, bigger still. So that's really the main drawback on that one and other sector players. But uh, I see the house builders have rallied very, very strongly in the last week, haven't they? So I did mention house builders, I think, a couple of times in previous podcasts. Very, very interesting sector. I also looked at Mark's Electrical, MRK, a very nice business, this one, a small growth company, recent float. Um, it's, it's, I don't like the sector selling electrical goods because it's so competitive, such low margins. But Mark's Electrical seems to have the right approach, which is keep the overheads as low as you possibly can. They just operate out of one warehouse. They run their own fleet of vans that covers, I think, about 80% of the UK. They don't go any further than that, because then you have to factor in overnight stops. So the whole thing is, is really um, set up very well, I think. Management comes across extremely well on webinars. So I do like this company, MRK, Mark's Electrical. But I went through the interim numbers, and um, they were in line. Outlook comments also seem encouraging. It's all about gaining market share. They've got a small market share. So even in a tough market, they reckon they can gain market share. The balance sheet is okay. Um, But cash flow didn't really generate any cash flow. It all came from increasing creditors, um, which could reverse in future. So a little bit of a question mark on cash flow. Um, Also, the forecast earnings are actually falling a bit because of obviously a lot of their costs are rising so I can't get excited about Mark's Electrical I think long term it should be good short term it's not cheap enough to tempt me in I'm afraid we had a profit warning on Tuesday from Hilton Food Group HFG now um, the shares didn't actually drop that much on this profit warning now that's quite an encouraging sign I think because really if you want to what, what, what I'm looking for at the end of a 
at the end of a bear market. Sorry, my computer just froze then, but it's unfrozen. What I'm looking for at the end of a, a bear market is where the market stops reacting negatively on, on profit warnings. And Hilton Food Group only dropped about 14% on the day, and it's actually bounced slightly. It's recovered about half of that uh, over the rest of the week. So that's actually quite an encouraging sign, I think. Um, but I went through all the numbers, and I just can't get excited about it. It's such a low-margin business, Hilton Foods Group is. You know, it's generating about $4 billion a year revenues, struggling to make a profit. Now, the interesting thing is, if you look at the, long, uh, the long-term the long chart, right up until only uh, a year ago, it was in a lovely um, sort of zigzaggy upward trend, and the shares got onto a rating, a PE of something like 20, I think. And I just think that was the wrong price. You look at it now, and obviously with cost increases coming in, profits have fallen. The balance sheet's not great. It's got net bank debt of £221 million. It looks too high to me going into a recession. And the profit margin now is only 1.7%. Uh, profit before tax uh, divided by... So that was £34 million adjusted PBT on over two billion revenues in H1. I cannot see why this business was ever rated on a PE of 20. I have to say, I don't think it's cheap even now um, that it's it's dropped by well over half from the peak um, quite recently. So, yeah, can't get excited about Hilton Foods Group, I'm afraid. I suppose the dangerous thing is with me being a value investor stroke analyst is that when something comes down from a PE of 20 to about 12, like Hilton Food Group is, I see my reaction is to say, well, it was overpriced in the first place and it's now come down to a, a more appropriate valuation. But the market may not see it that way. There's, a lot of people might anchor to the previous price of 12.50 per share. It's now 5.70. So people might look at it and think, oh, it's cheap, it's going to recover, it's going to re-rate back up again. So that's that's the problem really with me, that I might be avoiding some good companies because I think they were overpriced originally and are now only priced about right, where the market sees it differently. A friend sent me a very interesting email um, this week saying... Mm. Arguably, the job of fund managers is not to pick the best companies. It's just to pick the companies, the shares, that are going to go up in price. And I think there's a lot to that, actually. It's it's whether you whether fund managers can see an overall market trend and they latch onto that and just get, or whether they just get lucky within any any normal distribution. Some strategies are going to get lucky. Some strategies are going to be unlucky depending on what the stock market actually does, which a lot of which is sentiment-driven. We know that. A lot of it is sort of fashion. You know, do you invest in fashionable sectors and just ride the wave and then sell out near the top if you can? Well, I don't know. I thought that was just an interesting element. It's only really over the very long term that you see which strategies are, 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 are actually fundamentally right and which strategies are just lucky. I revisited an old friend called Warehouse REIT, uh, ticker WHR. A friend introduced me to this a few years ago, and it looked uh, very interesting at the time. It invests, it's a property REIT, so it specialises in buying warehouses. And the original rationale was that they were generating very good yields, that they were underpriced to a lot of warehouses, apparently, this is going back five or ten years, were valued at less than rebuild cost. And, of course, there's insatiable demand for warehouses because of the boom in e-commerce. So um, for a while, Warehouse REIT did very, very well. Uh, the shares went up and it was paying out, obviously, as all REITs do, paying out 
pretty much all the earnings as dividends. That's what allows them to have REIT uh, tax-free status. But I had a fresh look at this one after it's plunged by um, about a quarter recently on the general sector sell-off of property companies. And this, again, this could be a really good sector next year with interest rates now looking like they won't actually rise that much more. And then maybe coming down as we go into a recession, you could find that property valuations and bond valuations, which have been absolutely clobbered this year, could could be some of the, the best recovery situations. So, uh, yeah, house builders and property companies and bonds, actually, I think are interesting areas to look at at the moment if you look further, if you look beyond the current economic um, issues. But I couldn't get excited about Warehouse REIT. The dividend yields only about 5.2%, which would have been great during a zero interest rate environment, but now interest rates are so much higher. 5.2% yield doesn't really cut the mustard. So it doesn't float my boat, uh, Warehouse REIT, unfortunately. Graham looked at our Gentex. This is one of these, I think there are two of them, uh, foreign exchange dealers, brokers that are doing very well at the moment. And Argo Blockchain, ARB, Graham looked at that one again. Um, uh, it's a complete wipeout by the looks of it. So um, uh, Now, Yanos, one of our loyal readers, also mentioned he discovered that the bonds, Argo Blockchain's got some tradable bonds which are priced for oblivion. So, you know, something like a penny compared with an issue price of 25 pence. So as Yanos uh, pointed out... You know, if the bonds are that cheap, worth, you know, virtually nothing, then that means the equity is definitely worth nothing. So because, of course, bonds and creditors rank ahead of equity in uh, in in these um, situations. Graham also looked at Zoo Digital. Um, I won't I won't pr- pr- talk for Graham because he's, he's his own man. So see Tuesday's report for his comments on Zoo Digital, with which I agree. Moving on then to Wednesday, the 9th of November, um, as a postscript, made.com, which we've, we've been warning about for quite a while. Uh, obviously, it's gone bust. And Next have bought the brand and the intellectual property for only three and a half million quid. So it just shows, doesn't it, you know, all the hype on the IPO and, you know, talking about all the value of this brand they've established and whatever. You know, really, when it comes down to it, these brands are worth, are worth next to nothing um, once they've gone bust. Um, a lot of the inventories are, are likely to be disposed of via TK Maxx, according to um, This Is Money. So um, get down there if you fancy some modern furnishing bargains. Now, I looked at interim results from Volex, VLX, the electrical cables growth company. I thought they would look quite good, so I don't really understand why the share price was soft last week. I think given tough macro conditions, so far anyway, Volex seems to be... Um, uh, holding up, you know, its trading seems to be holding up pretty well. Um, I had a good dig into the balance sheet and the cash flows, and overall I'm happy with it all. So I think the shares are reasonably priced. So I gave Volex a, a thumbs up. So see Wednesday's report for more detail on that. And we had some good reader discussion on it as well. Um, now, Smith's News, SNWS. I've been positive about this share for a while now. On a, this is a deep value share distributor of newspapers and magazines. I thought the results were pretty good, actually. Uh, This was for year-ending August 2022. The legacy problems are all now resolved, and what you're left with is this cash-generative, largely de-geared business now. Most of the bank debt's been cleared with some one-off receipts that were known about. Um, The dividend yields is remarkable, about 11%. So... um, 
I thought, I mean, my main worry about this is that it could be a cigar butt type of business where, you know, in, inevitably newspapers and magazines are reducing in, in, in numbers over time. But a lot of that is being offset by cover price increases. And Smith News makes its revenue as a, as a percentage of, of um, you know, the cover price, which is ho- um, helping to offset the volume declines. And there's also the wild card, isn't there? They've got this high-speed overnight delivery system network. If they could find something else lucrative, some other pro- product or, or partnerships to bolt onto that network, it could give the business more longevity. So at the moment, the PER is in the low single digits. It's incredible. Um, and um, it has bounced quite a lot from recent lows. So, uh, but I think with good reason, it was really, really oversold, Smith News was. Now, I've invited the management to have a chat with me, so I'm hoping that I can uh, do uh, an interview with Smith News management uh, in this coming week. Graham looked at Purple Bricks. There's um, been a requisition to try and get rid of the chairman, with the argument being that he's presided over this business for a long time, uh, during which time various CEOs and various strategies are pursued, none of which has worked. So there is, I think, quite a strong argument for getting rid of the chairman and bringing in fresh blood. There was also a CEO interview with the lady who's taken over as CEO at Purple Bricks um, on Nick Searle's podcast channel which is a really interesting podcast i would i would recommend signing up for that it's free obviously it's zeus capital nick searles one of the uh one of the people there and uh, i've met nick he's a good guy and i think his podcasts are very interesting very thoughtful it's called a different perspective so um he's kind of homes in on the leadership skills and the personal experiences of CEOs and various other investors and so on. Now, I have to say, the CEO of Purple Bricks, she came across as very eloquent, very knowledgeable. If I'm honest, though, not really what I'm looking for in terms of um, uh, a CEO. She strikes me as she's come from an HR background and, you know, is talking about process and all the stuff she was talking about didn't really float my boat. I'm looking for hands-on entrepreneurs and she didn't strike me as the type of CEO I would want to personally back. So that got the thumbs down from me, I'm afraid. Graham also looked at the low-cost gyms company. It's called Just Gym. G-Y-M is the ticker as well. Um, disappointing update, he's saying. Um, yeah, I've never been very keen on that one. I, I thought the previous, the pre-COVID valuation was f- was far, far too high. And it's come down a lot, um, but I don't know if I would be interested in that one really at any price particularly. Graham also looked at this bizarre little company called National Milk Records. That's uh, an Aquis quoted uh, microcap. Now, on Thursday, I strayed out of small caps into mid caps again with B&M European Valley Retail. Ticket is BME. I've always liked the look of this company. Um, it's it's a value-based uh, shed operating um, uh, retailer. So I think value-focused stuff is a good place to be at the moment. It had a big boost during the pandemic, but it seems to have held, held on to most of that pandemic growth. I thought that the um, interim trading update that it issued um, looked pretty decent actually. Profit guidance is maintained for the current year which is ending March 2023. There's an improving trend in the year. Q2 is better than Q1. They're saying the current trading in Q3 is good. Uh, The dividend is maintained so dividend yield about 5% and I thought the net debt looked reasonable. 
Um, but much to my surprise, the market sold off the shares uh, on on Thursday, although I think they did bounce on Friday. I think this is, is worth a closer look for readers to see if it floats your boat. boat. So ticker BME, it looks reasonably priced, good, decent quality business, I think. I also analysed the accounts for Norcross, the bathroom fittings company, NXR. It put out interim numbers, and um, I think the share's very, very cheap now. Um, I'll talk about that a bit more in tomorrow's section from when I um, interviewed the, the CEO, Nick uh, Kelsall. So there's good dividend yield as well on Norcross. On Thursday, Graham looked at TT Electronics, um, Smooth, SMV, and PCF, a postscript on that one that, again, looks as if it's failed. OK, on Friday I looked at WRKS, The Works. This is another retailer, very, very low market cap now. It's only about £19 million. Um, the H1 Trading 8 update that The Works put out looks OK, it's in line. Although <coughs> it's a bit confusing, they only mention EBITDA, and of course that doesn't translate into profit for retailers. Um, and it's not clear what basis the EBITDA quoted is and we haven't got access to any broker notes so it's it's very difficult to value this thing the shares do look very cheap but bear in mind last year it benefited massively from business rates relief which it has has since unwound um it's got net cash as well but they they were very honest they said that the cash figure they were reported was boosted by five million pounds of payments going out the following day because they report as at 30th of october but they're probably year month end payroll i would imagine went out the following day so that was good disclosure i think that a brownie point there for the works for being honest in their reporting um i think it's very very cheap this share but it's cheap for a reason i just don't think it's a very good company that might kind of struggle to make any profit at all, I think, in a consumer downturn. Although most of the product is value-orientated again. Uh, Probably the highlight of my week again was doing my CEO interviews. I did two yesterday on Friday. I really enjoy doing these. They're a bit nerve-wracking, but the more you you practice, the more comfortable you become um, doing them. So anyone, you know, thinking of creating their own content, podcasts and... Um, and interviews go for it I would say you know the more the merrier in terms of lots of people are doing their own podcasts now and the only thing I would say if you're doing a podcast about shares keep it about shares you know I don't want to listen to a one and a half hour podcast that's way too long um, and and, and have about a third of it taken up with people's half-baked views on politics where they don't know anything more than anyone else about politics they've got no insights they're just regurgitating what they've read in the papers as seen on the news it's a waste of time it's pointless and it it quickly goes out of date so please a plea to people making podcasts keep it as short as you can and keep it about shares not about politics but obviously people can podcast about anything they like so you're also you're completely free to totally ignore me and stick two fingers at me if you wish anyway i talked to virgin wines on friday morning jay wright i really enjoyed chatting to jay he's very approachable and um straight talking I think this is a much more resilient... It's a a subscription wine service that licences the Virgin name. So we talked about, you know, all the sort of obvious questions that I would ask. Isn't this the type of thing that people would cancel in a downturn? Well, one of the insights that Jay revealed is that actually in a previous severe recession in 2008, they did well. And what they found was that people actually see spending a a £25 a month wine subscription as offering value for money and being an affordable treat. And so they'll probably cut down more on eating out 
um, but will want to keep their bottles of wine um, to drink at home. And it's also a, a quite a nice process to sort of choose which vineyards you want to support. And, 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 and obviously having it delivered is a lot easier than lugging around heavy bottles of wine back from the supermarket. So I think Virgin Wines is, is a nice little business, actually. It's got a sector-leading EBITDA margin of 9%. They're guiding that down to 8% in the current financial year. Uh, it's got net cash on the balance sheet, plenty of it. And it also ring-fenced the, cust- the customer's cash in a separate trust account, which I think is very ethical. I think that's admirable. So I like Virgin Wines. Obviously, the share price, again, as quite a lot of things have done, has had a sharp bounce recently. Um, but I did flag it up in July and also again at the beginning of November when it was uh, a good bit lower than than it is now. Uh, I, th- I think on Friday it did slip back a bit, though. So I think certainly Virgin Wines is one for, 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 for our watch lists. Um, obviously, it's up to you. It's your money. It's you, you decide what you want to buy or sell. And the timing of that, I don't have any... I don't want to influence people at all in that regard. I just think the fundamentals on Virgin Wines, to me, actually look quite good. I spoke to Nick Kelsall, the CEO of Norcross, on Friday afternoon. Thanks to <coughs> both CEOs for, for making the time for me. And it's good. It's good. To, it's free publicity for them. And it's, um, you know, I enjoy doing them. And I like uh, flagging up um, what I think are interesting companies to the readers for you to then go off and research yourself. Now, Norcross is, um, has, has got a strategy of making acquisitions. And they've roughly, I think, doubled the size of the business in this last cycle. Um there was a, a, a tacit admission, I think, that the most recent quite large acquisition um, was, you know, a bit unlucky on the timing, doing that just before the economy began to turn down. Um, so net debt's probably a bit higher than I would like. It's about £59 million. But um, as, a, a, you know, Nick reassured me on that, saying that he's not going to go, you know, he's, he's keeping a close eye on the, the EBITDA to net debt ratio and... He's not going to push that. They've got plenty of headroom on the facilities. So I'm expecting to see Norcross, um, you know, manage the net debt down a bit over the next year. Um, it's it's so cheap. The PER, I think, is only 4.6. And yet the interesting thing is the legacy issues have now largely been dealt with. So the pension deficit, it's actually an accounting surplus, but they're still having to make... Uh, actuarial deficit recovery payments that has shrunk as a size of the of the business very very considerably i worked out that the annual costs of the pension scheme including the um, admin costs <coughs> excuse me are now only about 15% of adjusted profit before, before tax 15% is not a big deal is it so i think the pension issue looks much much less of an issue now it's not a big problem anymore in my opinion and as he said it's a super mature scheme most of the uh, the average age of the pensions is 77 so over time it is shrinking and um, the costs of servicing it are now a relatively small part of Norcross's um, profits and cash flows so a lot, the business has really improved a lot over the last 10 years but the share price has gone nowhere basically if you compare it now with where it was 10 years ago it's about the same but you're getting so much more of a business for your money I think so I think the shares are really good value there but it it's just perpetually cheap and the share register seems to be like a revolving door it never seems to go anywhere so um 
But if it's value, it's value. And I think you're getting a, a dividend yield of over 5% with Norcross as well at the moment. So we touched on a lot of issues, including China sourcing. It's really becoming ap- apparent to me from talking to lots of CEOs just how dependent the West is on China for manufacturing, for raw materials, for components. You know, we're, buy- we're buying practically all our consumer goods from China. It's really quite scary when you think of the way China is saber-rattling over Taiwan. Um, Yeah, so that does worry me. Okay, that's all I wanted to say on individual companies. So on macro and news for the market and the economy more generally, these are the issues I've picked up on this week. The main issue this week is obviously a a huge rally um, in the US, continuing rally. We've now had a massive rally over the last month or two. Um, which actually started feeding through to UK small caps. So some some pretty spectacular rebounds, um, I've got to say. Hasn't really filtered right down to the bottom level yet, though. Um, a lot of my micro or nano caps <laughs> have resolutely not budged from their lows. Um, but <clears throat> if the main markets continue to rally, or, or, or you know, the, even if they hold the rally, then eventually it filters through to the to the bottom level. So the big question mark that we're all asking, and which none of us know, is this another bear market rally? Or have we seen the turning point? And the only honest answer I can give to that is I don't know, because it's all about market sentiment, isn't it? I mean, all I would say, when you get spectacular one-day rallies, like I think one day last week, the, the Nasdaq went up 7%, a huge market going up 7% in one day. Well, <coughs> well that, <coughs> that looks to me more like a bear market rally than a than a, anything sustainable. But the, we've got to look at what the trigger for it was, and that was basically um, markets starting to factor in... Well, it was a, a, an inflation reading, wasn't it, in the US that came lower than expected. So the market... Have we had a trigger point now where the market said, OK, inflation's now peaked, broadly speaking, and we're going to see... Which means less pressure to raise interest rates, which means we can start factoring in maybe even falls in interest rates. And certainly looking at the 10-year gilt, which I comment on uh, every week in the UK, that's dropped further down to 3.35%. I'm hearing that mortgages, which are based, I think they're based on the 25-year gilts, aren't they? Or 20-year gilts. I'm not entirely sure on that. So I think I gave wrong information on that last week. So apologies on that. But they are already starting to ease in the UK and and in America. In America, they tend to do long-term 30-year mortgages, don't they? And I think they peaked at 7% and have now dropped to about 6%. So, um, whereas we do shorter-term fixes in the UK, although the obvious way to go, if you can cope with the risk, as I always mention every week, is to go for a tracker discounted mortgage for two or three years. Now, rather than a fixed rate, personally, I wouldn't be uh, looking to fix at current fixed rates because I think they're too high. Um, but you, but obviously, going for a discounted rate, you're then, you're then, uh, you've got open-ended risk, haven't you? If, if the, um, if the rates do continue rising, I think that's very unlikely, personally. Interesting article in the Telegraph saying that Chinese deflation is coming. Now, this actually uh, is something I mentioned last week with my interview of UPGS, where he, uh, the, the, the MD there, um, Andy Gossage, uh, flagged that. 
uh, China freight costs have absolutely plummeted. And he, uh, down to, from a peak of about $19,000 for a 40-foot container to now only about $3,000. And Andy reckons that it could even overshoot further on the downside to as low as $1,000. So <clears throat> this is a massive <clears throat> positive tailwind now coming through for um, companies selling consumer goods, which are nearly all made in China. Uh, I hadn't realised just how dependent we are on China. Um, you know, if you've got 50 or 100 grand's worth of, in dollars of, of kit in, in a container, paying 18 or $19,000 to ship it from China to the UK is, is, a, is, a, is a huge chunk of additional cost, which if that's now gone, which it basically has, uh, even, you know, you can absorb a lot of, a lot of um, you know, factory gate price inflation because the freight cost has come down so much. And Andy was said was saying last week that they they're not UPGS is not intending on raising its prices in 2023 at all. The other key thing is that the dollar's weakened a lot. Um, the the pound is moving in more or less in lockstep with the euro against the dollar. So I think you know you have to be careful. It's not oh everyone's suddenly more confident about the UK. It's actually the the, the there was that issue over the mini budget we know, but that's rapidly fading in in significance. And Pat Sterling bottomed out at 105 to the dollar. It's now up at about 117 or 118. Well, that, again, is very good for inflation in, in the UK because a lot of goods are priced in dollars and um, it means that the UK distributors and retailers are going to be able to achieve keener prices in 2023 with a time lag, though, remember, because there's often six months or 12 months hedging involved uh, or, or partial hedging. So all these factors are pointing very clearly towards inflation falling more quickly than um, perhaps the the Bank of England and other forecasters have, have so far thought. So again, I think that's pretty pretty bullish for stock markets. Um, so yeah, there are some fundamental reasons behind this big rally we're having, for the, no doubt about that. Um, but my overall feeling is that we're just going into an earnings recession you know, companies' profits are have really only started falling. So we're going to have, I would imagine, plenty more profit warnings. And I've yet to see that the market is just shrugging off profit warnings. It's not. I mean, maybe they're not damaging share prices quite as much as they have been previously. Um, and also, of course, the GDP news in the UK is quite negative. We were, I think, minus 02 the worst out of the G7. But when you look at how tight the numbers are bunched, you know, um, some of the others are only 0.2% positive GDP growth. Well, there's not much difference between plus 0.2 and minus 0.2. It's just a rounding error. And these GDP numbers are all estimates, and they, they're, they're, they tend to be heavily revised. And different countries work them out different ways, I'm sure, even though they're supposed to be sort of harmonised. I bet they're not in reality. So but I wouldn't get too hung up about this business of Britain, you know, being be, be lagging and so on. It'll switch round. These things always do, I think. Um, <clears throat> so I'm very reluctant to start buying after this recent bounce. I'm not going to, actually. I'm more interested in buying the dips when good companies guide down and or start warning on profits. There's going to be loads of that in the next year. I don't think there's any rush to uh, uh, pile into the market after what could well turn out to be um, a bear market rally. Because simply because the fundamentals are going to get a lot worse before they get better, aren't they, for company profits? And that's ultimately 
what drives share prices, I think. Now, just a quick mention for Mellow, Mellow London, a physical shares conference. Hooray! This is on Wednesday and Thursday coming. Uh, it's in Chiswick. David Stredder's been very brave, I think, organising this. And uh, these are lovely events. They've got a really nice feel to them. Very nice uh, community events. Uh, you know, very friendly. Every, everyone just talks to everyone because we've all got the same shared interests. Um, and we all end up in the bar at about five or six o'clock. And you just catch up with old friends, make new friends. I love meeting the Stockopedia readers. readers, readers. So if you're there, you know, just come and say hello. Um, I'd be delighted to, to put names to faces and um, tell us what we're doing well, tell us what we're doing badly, if you like. Um, and, uh, yeah, so Mellow should be great fun Wednesday and Thursday. So I don't know what the quality of the Small Cap Valley reports will be on those days. Probably pretty grim. <laughs> but I might prepare one or two sections early so that I can at least get something up for the people, because I appreciate it's frustrating for the people who are not attending the conference to not get a very good written report on the day because we're all busy or hungover. So <coughs> um, government policy, again, I think is completely haywire. And I think that's going to obviously worsen a recession because the last thing you should be doing when, go, when you go into a recession is introducing austerity measures. <coughs> it's completely <coughs> the wrong thing to do. So I'm watching with complete dismay at um, the uh, continued ineptitude of UK policy. Another thing to bear in mind, of course, is corporation tax was going to stay at 19%. We now know it's going up to 25%. That's a big chunk of... Of, of profits taken off and that that itself will impact earnings although i think it's probably in the forecasts by now uh, i think i'll leave it there um anything over 40 minutes people's minds start to wander i know they do when i listen back to my own um to my own um podcast oh a reader comment that stuck out so reader comment of the week is from jono who flagged uh YNGA, which is Young's. I think it's a brewery and pubs group. And he wrote a very nice synopsis of it. Uh, it's got a strange, strange shareholding structure with voting and non-voting shares. Um, but it's it looks interesting. Lots of freehold property, trading quite well. So I'm going to try and have a look at that one. Um, we absolutely love it when readers put up a, a synopsis on a share that for some reason might have <clears throat> been uh, flying under the radar. So thank you to Jono for that. Mentioning positives and negatives as well, which we always like. It's good to get a good balanced synopsis of it. So, And thank you to all the other readers who are continuing, <clears throat> continuing to produce some uh, interesting and, and entertaining comments. We're very lucky to have uh, um, um, a civilised and interesting community discussion on the small cap value reports every day so it's 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 a team sport as i always say so thank you to everyone who contributes and and not not and not being bitchy towards each other as well is really good in bear markets the tone tends to get a bit um nasty sometimes but we've managed to stay remarkably free of that on stockopedia so i do appreciate that one because shares should be fun so i know it hasn't been fun over the last year but it should be fun as well as being interesting and making money over the long term so um right i'll leave it there i'm starting to waffle <laughs> have a great week everyone and thanks for tuning in bye